everybody, I'm Connor, that's Doug, and welcome to a very special episode of the Bethel School District Presents podcast. That's right, no wacky intros or pop culture references today. This is the very special episode of your favorite 80s TV show that your mother warned you about. Doug, let's not rule out pop culture references just yet because we are talking about drugs and you're an 80s kid, I'm a 90s kid, and you and I got a lot of anti-drug messaging through Saturday morning cartoons. We did. Of course, I think that all started with Nancy Reagan's Just Say No to Drugs campaign. And who can forget This Is Your Brain? on drugs. That's right, the egg in the frying pan. And of course, I learned it by watching you. (laughs) We said that all the time in school. Talk about some great messaging. You and I can remember it all these years later. Well, the DEA has a new slogan out about the dangers of fentanyl, and we're going to be talking about that today with our very special guest. Yes, we are. Joining us in the studio today is Deputy Carly Capetto with the Pierce County Sheriff's Department. Carly, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is such an important topic to cover. Carly, some people may not know that you used to actually work here in Bethel, so before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about what you used to do for Team Bethel? Of course. I was a family resource coordinator, so I supported students with significant absences, and I'd go out and, and locate them and figure out where the needs were in the homes with the families and try to get them to be successful in school and, and get them to school. What I noticed when I did that job was just significant holes in the system in terms of supports for these families. Lots of homelessness and, and drugs, lots of barriers that prevented these kids from going to school. So many barriers that I felt in my role with the Bethel School District, I could not do enough for these students, which therefore led me to seek out the Sheriff's Department. And it was a really hard move for me to make leaving the Bethel School District. But I also find that in my role here at the Sheriff's Department, I actually can move forward and impact these families more so than I could have done in my previous position. So I I feel like I am moving forward in the change that I want to see, and there's a lot of change to be made. Do you still work in conjunction with family resource coordinators at our district and other ones? So I currently um, work as a school resource officer in the Puyallup School District. And yes, I work with a lot of family coordinators. They will come to me for supports and services, or I will escort them into a home or a location and provide mentorship and services for those families. A lot of people don't recognize that Reaching out to the sheriff's department, it doesn't always have to be a cop-related or, or a crime to reach out for our services, that we we truly are trying to think outside of the box and putting supports into these families and full wraparound services. Just because it's not a, a criminal thing doesn't mean we, we have programs to support. A new program we added was a co-responder. We have mental health supports. To get that program and the program they offer, it has to come through the sheriff's department. And people... They don't realize that yet, and so we're really trying to get the word out that um, there's a lot we can do to support. So you just mentioned the impact that drugs are having on our community. Uh, Doug and I just got back from a conference where the DEA made a presentation about fentanyl. It was a really eye-opening experience, and there's a lot of great information and actually some really tragic stories surrounding it. 
As you know, fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that's 50 times more potent than heroin, making a minuscule amount of it lethal. The DEA's new slogan surrounding fentanyl is one pill can kill. It really can. In fact, fentanyl is involved in more deaths of Americans under 50 years old than any other cause of death, including heart disease, cancer, homicide, suicide, and other accidents. And according to the CDC, 107,000 people in the United States died of drug overdoses and drug poisonings in the 12-month period ending in January of 2022, and 67% of those deaths involve synthetic opioids like fentanyl. So, Carly, the question is, what is Pierce County seeing in regards to fentanyl? Who's being affected, and what do we need to look out for to help protect ourselves and our kids? Everybody is being affected by fentanyl. It's not just fentanyl addicts and, and people that are using fentanyl. Every community member is affected because it causes somebody to not be able to hold a job, not be able to hold a family, not be able to care for their children, which therefore trickles down to the rest of the community because it causes the community to have to step up and, you know, foster more kids. Our foster care systems are full. Theft crimes are, are extremely high right now. A lot of the thefts are, are from people that are looking to, to steal something simple in order to sell it quickly and, and make some money for their next hit. You brought up a lot of great statistics. One thing that I do want to mention that makes fentanyl so unique is how cheap it is to get it. Prior to fentanyl, and fentanyl's you know, only recently been coming on the market here in the last, I'd say, year or so, heroin used to be the highest sought out heavy drug you could come to. Heroin was considered one of the worst once you had heroin and you were at that level, it was really hard to come off of. Heroin was also expensive. So a daily user of heroin could be at $90 a day to supply a heroin addiction. Fentanyl, like you had mentioned, it's 50 times stronger, but it's also way cheaper. So a daily user for fentanyl can cost maybe $24 a day. To be honest, I don't even see heroin anymore on the street. Heroin is, is becoming non-existent because it's not sought out like the fentanyl. The fentanyl is stronger and cheaper, and that's more attractable to a lot of the people. A lot of the people that I know are, are drug impacted um, that were my heroin users, and I still see them on the street and I'll talk to them, they're now fentanyl users. And they've, they've admitted that to me, that they no longer use the heroin and that fentanyl is now their choice. So we're really seeing this move uh, in this direction towards this very dangerous drug. You mentioned heavy users, daily users of fentanyl. What about students? Is there a place that students might encounter this that they need to, to be wary of? Fentanyl is so easily accessible right now, more accessible than, than heroin was. And because it's cost-efficient, a, a juvenile with a couple bucks can buy a pill. So right now, the cost on the street for one pill is $2.00. You could get a soda for $2, so it's very attractive in that. Fentanyl, it's not hard to find. Our juveniles right now, they know it's out there, and the ones that are using, it's because it's probably in the home already or lack of supervision at home. 
what I try to get parents to know and students to recognize that right now with the vaping and the marijuana use, a lot of these students that are coming into our schools are predispositioned to have major addictions later on, and it's because of their biological makeup. If, if their parents had used drugs through utero and then they were born drug impacted and then they recovered from that, a lot of these students don't even realize they are predispositioned to be drug addicts if they are not cautious. And the amount of usage that's on the street right now, we're seeing more and more students with these predispositions and they're going around smoking vapes and marijuana, you know, thinking that it's not a big deal, it's just social and getting them to recognize what their predispositions are and that potentially it could lead into a lot more. That's really heavy stuff there. You mentioned $2 a pill, and back to the DEA slogan, one pill can kill. On their website, they have a picture of a penny. And if you, so if you imagine a penny and the date on there, 2023, uh, they have just a little smattering of dust right next to the penny, and they, which is fentanyl, and, and it barely looks like it would cover the date on a penny. And it says that's a lethal dose. Watching the news, we've had a handful of juvenile deaths where the call has come out that they just, they just, they're not waking up. They don't wake up. I think what people don't realize is that these juvenile deaths are related to some sort of drug exposure, most likely. Usually the medical examiner can predict that and determine that. To somebody that doesn't do drugs, a small amount of that fentanyl can kill you. Somebody who has built up a tolerance to the drug it's not gonna affect them and or kill them for it. So when children get a hold of these drugs and they have never been exposed before or it's their first time being exposed to it, that's where that slogan is going to impact that student. It depends on what the exposure that student has had with previous drugs and how their bodies can handle it. You can't just go from never using a drug to jumping right to fentanyl, you will die. Typically, it's a build up. It usually starts with marijuana, vaping, and then it, you get bored with that, and um, it's not the same high that you used to get to, and so then a student would want to move to Percocets or pills. Typically, they find those in the cupboards of family members or grandparents or friends, and then they'll smoke those and get a higher high than what they were getting with marijuana. That only lasts so long before they get experimental with other types of highs and, and more highs. So you're, you're prepping your body over a course of time, and it only takes a year or so or less, depending on how often you're using, to prep your body to a high dose of a type of drug. After the, the pills, it typically comes methamphetamines would be the next level of drug and then from methamphetamine it used to be the heroin but you can't really find heroin anymore on the street it's now the fentanyl and so they're mixing a lot of small doses of the fentanyl in with other types of drugs once your body establishes that tolerance for let's say you're doing one hit a day you can only maintain that for so long before you don't feel the high anymore and then you have to get, do two hits a day, and then you move from two hits to three hits a day and four hits a day. I had a very sad encounter and an arrest that I had to make with a gentleman after 
he was taken into custody, he had shared that he was a fentanyl user and we had a, a really good heart to heart conversation. And I had asked him, I said, you know, how much are you spending on your fentanyl? And he'd said, oh, it only costs me $24 a day. And I said, how often do you have to use? And he had said every two hours. So every two hours he had to take a hit in order to maintain that high level of high to, to normalize what he thought was a normal level of feelings. I had asked him, you know, about his job and his family, and he had said that fentanyl took all that away from him. Having to take a hit every two hours prevents him from holding a job, prevents him from raising children. He's, he said he's fearful to be around his children because of the exposure that he would bring to them, even just if there was powder on his pocket or on his hands or anything like that. So he, he knew his addiction had, had taken him over and he did not know how to get out of it. As a heroin user, it was common to occasionally see someone out of remission that could come out of heroin, few and far between, but it, it was possible. With fentanyl, I have yet to see somebody come out of remission and recover from fentanyl. You mentioned that a lot of times when kids are getting started on this kind of drug journey, for lack of a better term, they're finding prescription pills in their parents' house, in their grandparents' house, in their friends' parents' house. What kind of advice would you give to parents to safeguard their kids from that type of exposure? What should they be doing right now? The parents should be involved in the in the child's life. I know as a parent myself, your kid reaches an age where they become very independent. They can make their own meals and get themselves up and get themselves to school on their own. And I think a lot of parents feel like, ah, they can take a breath. I can step back a little bit, give my child some more independency and, you know, let them kind of do their thing. And I'm just going to sit back and relax a little bit more. And the best advice I could give to a parent, that is not the time to take a backseat role in your child's life just because they are now an independent young adult. That is the time where parents should be engaging, should be asking questions with their child, should be checking backpacks, occasionally going into bedrooms and just doing a, a walkthrough of bedrooms, not because you're, you want to get your child in trouble, but because a good parent would make sure that their child is safe. And we've all been a child before. We've all made bad decisions before. We've all tried to possibly hide stuff from our parents. So a good parent knowing that, you know, and if you loved your child, you would you would constantly ask them questions and constantly be checking on what they're doing. A lot of these medications you can buy over the counter. You can buy cough medication and get high on that hairsprays and all sorts of aerosol cans. Parents need to educate themselves on just kind of different ways students are using these over-the-counter type items you can buy at Walgreens or Rite Aid. Not that you're going into their bedroom to, you know, intrude on their privacy, but what looks out of the normal in your student's bedroom? Like, why would there be a spray can there? And ask questions. You know, it's those types of things that I think as parents we're missing because all this stuff is new to us. This wasn't around 20 years ago. And it's so easy to, to hide. 
So the best advice, if you're going to take anything away from this podcast, is don't take a back seat because you feel like your child is being successful and and independent. They they truly still need a parent around, and they need a parent asking those questions and and questioning, you know, what's this and what's that, and let's talk about this, and educating them. Because if you don't educate them, I guarantee someone else will educate them. And it's not going to be the education that you want. You as a parent want to get to them first so that when they encounter that other person, they're equipped with tools and knowledge of what you instilled in them first. So you mentioned vaping as one of those things a kid might pick up at home. Um, The rise in vaping among teenagers has been astronomical. The 2022 National Youth Tobacco Survey showed 11.3% of middle and high school students, which is like 3 million kids across the country, reported that they use tobacco products with the most common being e-cigarettes or vaping. And I wonder if actually it's not more than that because those are just the kids that are admitting to it on a survey. That's very true. And we know not all kids are taking the survey, but 3 million is a lot to start with. Vaping is so prevalent, actually, our district was involved with other school districts in litigation against Juul, the e-cigarette company, in the settlement this March. We actually got funds that we can use for health education related to vaping and other similar causes. So, Carly, how big of a problem is underage vaping in Pierce County? I would have to say it's it's definitely out of control. And to give you an, an example and a kind of a clear picture of what we're dealing with, To get a vape sensor put in a bathroom, they're very expensive units to put in. And I've heard of some schools having these vape sensors. They were going off so often that staff no longer even pay attention to them going off because it's too overwhelming. You could walk by a bathroom and and smell it instantly, and you go in there, and there's 15 students in the bathroom. And with the laws that are put in place, we can't question anybody. We can't do any sort of investigative work. We are eliminated from doing backpack searches if we don't actually have probable cause to determine that it was you. So if we suspect anything, our hands are pretty much tied unless we can come to 100% probable cause that, you know, you in fact were the ones that did it. And, and occasionally we will, and, and some students will come forward and confess, but that's few and far between. So with the, the vaping in the schools, it's unpreventable. It's, it's in our middle schools, and it's in our elementaries. I've seen it as young as third graders. And a lot of these students that that have these vape devices, they're getting it from older siblings. And I've had many students say that their parent allows it, and how dare I take it away from them because it was given to them by their parent. And I think a lot of times this is where parents want to just kind of give in because they're frustrated with their child, and so they think that by allowing them, okay, well, I'll just allow you to vape anyways. If that's what you're going to do, I'm just going to allow it. And I think that's where we start to see more and more of the vapes. And then they pass them around to their friends at school. Many of these vapes can be laced with certain stuff. I've had many overdoses in the schools where somebody was offered a vape and it was laced with a higher potency of a type of drug, potentially, you know, fentanyl pieces can be laced in there or a stronger level of marijuana that that student's not used to. And the kids have 
know, they don't even ask questions who gives them the vape. It's just the fact that it's a vape and I'm going to take it. So there's no safety measures taken. They don't ask questions where it came from, what's in it. These students are just hitting on these vapes and passing them back and forth. They'll hide them in the tampon dispensers and the toilet paper roll dispensers. They'll hide them in cabinets, anywhere they can, in in bathrooms. And then they'll text all their friends where it's at. And then throughout the day, students just go back and forth to the bathroom and share on the same vape. The exposure is so, so extreme that you're almost a minority if you don't vape. When we're talking about vaping, this could be tobacco, it could be marijuana. Yeah, it can be vape, it can be marijuana, but it also can be laced with something else. You should never trust anybody with any of that stuff because you you don't know what someone's intentions are. You don't know if their tolerance is higher than yours and what the level of drug that's in theirs could be more. And believe it or not, we've actually seen overdoses of marijuana now too. So the potency in some of the marijuanas that can be purchased is so incredibly high that you can actually overdose and and go into um, a passed out state of mind and you're incapacitated. And that can also be done from marijuana as well. And that's one we haven't seen before and we're starting to see more and more. How do you see the future the next couple of years unfolding in terms of drug abuse in our community? I think it's going to get worse. And I say that because as of right now, if I notice somebody doing drugs or has drug paraphernalia in their lap, it would be a drug referral, which is not a restable offense. It's not even an offense at all until they get to three offenses. That's assuming that the deputy making contact even wants to put themselves in a position of risky drug exposure to have a social contact with somebody that's not going to be prosecuted or impacted in the, in the system. We, we can't arrest these people. So without that changing, there will not be a change. It will increasingly get worse. And there's not a single person you can talk to that has not been impacted by a family member or a loved one or a friend that has been impacted by drugs. And that number is going to increase. And it just... It's so easily available for anybody off the street that it's the only way to combat this is to talk to your children and educate and monitor and and be that parent that's asking questions and hovering over them. That is the only thing that I am seeing as a tool to combat this at this moment. Carly, thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been a lot of really heavy information for our families to listen to and for them to process. So to close this out, you're out in the community every single day. I'm hoping you see some positive things happening out there. Is there something that you've seen recently that gives you hope or at least made you smile? I see it every day, and and there hasn't been a day yet that I've woken up and not wanted to put on my uniform. So as much as these topics are very heavy, there's so much good to do out there as well. Partly, I wanted to become a law enforcement officer because I didn't like the way that policing was viewed. The direction was not a positive direction. And 
I decided that maybe I could make a difference. And when I first started in law enforcement in the community that I was assigned to, my presence was pushed back on. And it wasn't me. It was the uniform. It was like, hey, we don't want law enforcement here. This is not what we want on our campus, or you're scaring the students, you're causing anxiety in the students. And I respected that. At the same time, the relationships I can build with the students, their first experience with me should be a positive one. It should be me playing basketball with them, sitting down having lunch with them, high-fiving them, reading stories in their classrooms, teaching on social media safety, or any sort of experience I can get with them that's a positive non-police related experience is it should be every person's first interaction to to understand that we are just as human as they are and when they do need us and they do need to call us partly your emotions are already heightened to begin with because you're in a crisis so when we show up on scene yes it's going to be scary But if your first experience has been a positive one and we show up to your scene or your crisis, how much more are you able to be supported by your law enforcement agencies if you already have that positive relationship? The two years that I've been in my particular role, if I'm not at a certain spot, people actually will call me and ask me where I'm at now. And it never used to be like that. If a certain student doesn't see me, they'll be upset that they didn't get to see me that day. They'll be like, Cappy, where are you at? <laughs> we need you here today. And, and I'll be like, well, why do you need me here? They're like, just because. We just we just want to see you. And that's a 360-degree turn from where it used to be. And I truly think that presence and supporting our community is such a positive role that it, it doesn't have to be a cop-related issue to support somebody and know that we're here for them. So this was certainly a heavy conversation, but one that I'm really glad that we're having, and I'm glad the parents are gonna be able to listen to this. Deputy Carly Capetto, thank you so much for what you're doing out there, and thank you for joining us today. You're very welcome, and everybody go home, love on your kids, and uh, ask those questions, and and step up and be that parent that you need to be. Don't, don't take a back seat, this is not the time. You can find a lot of information online about talking to your kids about drugs and other important topics. Be sure you're using a reputable source. The Pierce County Health Department actually has a very informative section on fentanyl called Tracking the Overdose Crisis in Pierce County. And that's going to do it for our show today. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week.